they loved what I was doing and they loved my work. And like when I was able to see the results of that on the other side and see that I was really helping people that I was like early on achieving the mission that I set out for myself. Again, it was this thing of, well, there's nothing else I can do. Like, this is what I'm meant to do. This is why I'm here. If it's a little scary right now, it's worth it because I that person now has a better life situation than they did before. They learned something that they didn't know because I was there. Welcome to Queer Hustle, where we talk to the hottest up-and-coming queer entrepreneurs about growing businesses, creating dream lifestyles, and taking care of each other. Your host, Michelle Coyle, sits down to work together to explore what's possible when you approach business with full authenticity. Hey, everybody, it's Michelle, and this is Queer Hustle, where we talk to queer entrepreneurs. And today, I'm really excited because we have Olivia Sinbach, and she is a polyamorous relationship transformation coach. Libby, do you want to introduce yourself to the crew? Um, hi, y'all. Um, my name's Libby. I am, as Michelle said, a relationship transformation coach. I'm also queer and polyamorous, and I'm a mom of two little boys. And I host a podcast also called Making Polyamory Work. Very excited to have you here. And we have lots and lots of queer entrepreneurs and aspiring queer entrepreneurs that really are dying to get into the podcast world, the YouTube world, and all of that. So uh, are going to be very, very excited to hear from you. Uh, But you didn't just start out as a podcaster. You started out as a relationship coach and as a polyamorous relationship coach at that. What made you interested in getting into that work in the first place? I just saw a need for it. So I live in Washington, D.C. area, the same as you, Michelle. And I am part of a polyamorous community. I have a lot of polyamorous friends. And a thing that I was noticing for myself and for my partners and other folks was that when we were going to try to seek you know, some kind of support in our relationships, whether it's like mental health support, which you'd go to see a therapist or whether it's just like relationship support, that there was a limited pool of people that we could turn to. Because if we would turn to like maybe a standard life coach or a standard um, therapist or something like that, they might not understand where we're coming from, (laughs) you know, because when you're polyamorous, you're in like, and when you're queer and polyamorous and, you know, raising a family that way and so many different things, there's so much in that. (laughs) And if you're seeing a professional that doesn't get that, you end up having to do a lot of education with them and might even be told that your relationship style is part of the problem that you're having in your relationships. (laughs) And so, you know, I was noticing that there are some very excellent polyamorous mental health professionals in my city, but they all had like waiting lists (laughs) and they're all regularly full and some of them are quite expensive. And so I just was seeing a need for more of that basically. And I had been just on my own hosting discussion groups like support groups, basically, um, out of my house at first, because I was a I was new to the polyamory community, and I was also a mom of two very very young kids. Like one of them was a baby at the time, and I just started wanting to meet other people and just talking about, oh, what is it like doing this? What is it like being here? What is it like being a parent doing this? Through that, I just got really good at facilitating groups, and I got really good at holding space for people, and I just saw more and more like again, this need. And I started developing the skills to give it. And then I was just like, no, this is what I really want to do all the time. (laughs) And I just, I just really loved it. I love the community. I love the people and I get it so well. And I was also seeing 
in the discourse of the polyamory discussion of like how to do it well, there were some things sort of missing in like the broader community discussions about it that I felt I wanted to put into the mix. And I felt like, you know, people tend to like when they go to for relationship support, they tend to go to see like a couples therapist. And most couples therapists, even if they're polyamory friendly, are still trained in how to maintain a monogamous relationship. At the same time, if they're really polyamory trained, they might like look at it through like, again, some of these polyamory lenses that are more about sort of ethics and right and wrong and not about like, how to manage the nuts and bolts and messiness of a relationship. And so I felt like these two ways of seeing relationship work were kind of very not meeting where they needed to, because I think you do need to like know some of the things that you get out of traditional couples therapy, but you need also the polyamory part. And also you don't really need for relationship help. You don't really need the therapy part so much. I don't think because you're not dealing with mental illness. You're usually just dealing with behavioral strategies. And so, you know, I was like, I think coaching is a really good fit for that because then I don't have to like get caught up in like the pathologizing that stuff that therapists do and the diagnosing. And I don't have to deal with the healthcare system. I can just focus on the relationship part and how that works. So again, it just it just really fit all the things that I cared about, all of my interests. And I'd been wanting to shift careers. I used to do actually online uh, communications for nonprofits. That was like my previous career for over a decade. And I just really wanted to switch to something that was more of a helping profession anyway. And this just, again, it was sort of this perfect fit of this is what people need. This is what I love doing. I've got the skills for it. And it was just the perfect thing to be doing. So, yeah. So, I mean, we talked, and I think, you know, even yesterday we talked a little bit about how this was a, a scary leap for you and, and one that took a little bit to get to into entrepreneurship. And we definitely have people watching and listening that are thinking about taking that leap. What was it uh, that really was the turning point for you that said, okay, I can actually do this and I actually want to work for myself, even though that's terrifying? You and I had this discussion as well, like years ago, where we both sort of, I think identified about ourselves and I won't speak for you, but I'll speak for me. I was able to identify for myself that I don't really like working in a workplace. (laughs) I don't really like working for other people. I don't really like the things that go with that. And I mean, I get, it's like a cost benefit analysis. There's a lot you get out of working for other people. So I don't think like it's, there's a binary there of like one is better than the other, but I knew for me, it was not a good fit. And I'd been longing to do that. And so I think that really, honestly, the writing on the wall for me was, I was like, I'm almost 40. (laughs) I have been working for other people for my whole life. I haven't loved it ever. Maybe it's just time to accept that this is not a thing for me to be doing. And that I will... Like, if I haven't figured it out by now, maybe it's just not for me. And maybe this is really the only other choice that I have. Like, in some ways, it didn't feel like a choice. In some ways, it felt like if I'm going to follow what my brain and my uh, abilities are telling me to do, then this is what I have to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I think that's really what it came down to. It's like when I was really looking at my options, I was like, I just really don't feel like I have a choice. Like I can stay at a job working for other people and kind of fail at it, which is what I would do is I'd start out at a job and I would be great at it for a little while because I'm very competent. I'm very smart. I'm very bright. I am super passionate and inspired. And I was working for causes that I cared about, but then it would be like this gradual... Mm-hmm. slide down and then people would be less enchanted with me because I, I just wasn't great working in office environments. And I would always try to leave a job before they would get too disenchanted with me. <laughs> it was very scary to make that leap. You know, it was very scary to make that leap. And I, I will say, and this is full disclosure, I had a cushion 
you know? Mm. So I'm, I'm married. I have a spouse. My spouse made just barely enough money to cover me to not make a lot of money right away out of the gate because I knew that that was the thing that was going to happen. And it was easy for me to make the leap too because I have two small kids at home. And what I was finding was that I was also really miserable at my job because I was gone for like eight to 10 hours a day every day. And so I got to see my kids like, you know, awake for like two hours a day or so, and not the best hours for them or for me, you know, either right in the morning or right in the evening where we're tired. And, <laughs> and I just realized that wasn't the life I wanted to live. And so I wanted to have the flexibility to make the life that I wanted to. And I had so much support. You know, I had a lot of support from my family and from my husband. So I think that that made it easier, honestly, was to have the, the support that I knew was there. And I know that's not available to everybody. Mm-hmm. At the same time, you know, there were times, multiple times where I wasn't making money yet and wasn't doing it where it was definitely scary. And when it's just you, when it's just you, and for me, it, was, it wasn't just me, like it was just my business, but like my product was also me, right? <laughs> That's terrifying because then it's all about who you know, what people think of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like, whoo, like putting so much of yourself on the line. <laughs> and that was really terrifying too. I think the thing that got me through those early, well, really the first year, I would say, was like a lot of fear and a lot of fragility on my part was just, again, that feeling of, well, there's really nothing else I can do. So I have to just keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, and there have been many times that I was motivated by the thought as well, like, well, what else am I going to do? So I guess we're going to keep doing this. Obviously, a lot of times we're enjoying ourselves, but there are always those days where you're like, okay, but what's my alternative, right? Like, go back and get a job. No, let's just keep plugging away. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the, the cushion and being married and being a mom, because I think it is so important for us to talk about these things explicitly. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm, um, especially somebody that's thinking about quitting a job and going into entrepreneurship, that's one of the things that we always talk about up front is like, let's buy you some breathing room, you know, three to six months of cash flow to pay your bills. So if it's, you know, a single person without kids, then obviously they don't have that support, but they don't have the dependence either. And then they don't have the same expenses. Yeah. Right. I mean, so it does kind of shake out, but we do talk about, you know, do you need to borrow some money? Do you need to save some money for a little bit before you do this? Do you have a spouse that's, that's okay. Kind of floating things for a while. Like what is your plan so that we're not just jumping with no net, especially when we're older, especially when we have dependents, et cetera. I think one of the things that comes up when we talk to people that are in that marital situation is it can start to, even if your spouse says, I'm okay, I'm supportive, like, yay, do your thing. We love our entrepreneur spouses, by the way. They do not get enough credit. Shout out to all of the partners of people like us because, oh my God. But even if they're saying that, you can start to feel a lot of pressure, especially if you have somebody that's bringing home a salary for a certain amount of years. Mm-hmm. Tell us about what that feels like and how did you kind of navigate through that in your own mind to feel okay with it? The thing that leaps to my mind is just that I have a really incredible husband and partner, life partner, co-parent, and he was just so supportive. And I know not everybody has that. You know, I know that, you know, especially, I mean, like money is like the number one thing that couples fight over or like one of the number one things, like one of the top things that couples fight over. And I don't know that never, I mean, part of the thing, I think the advantage was that I also was the person who manages the finances for our family. (laughs) So, you know, if I said, Hey, I think we can make this work. He'd be like, okay, cool. So, I mean, that was a piece of it. I think though, I mean, it really was, he was just so supportive and he really believed in me. I think sometimes he believed in me 
at times when I didn't believe in myself. And I definitely had some dark days for sure, though, of feeling guilty because, you know, as, as you pointed out, Michelle, you don't just need cash to like float your expenses during the time that you're running your business. You need cash to spend. Mm -hmm. You know, I was spending money. I was spending money on trainings. I was spending money on a desk that would work for me. I was spending money on, you know, equipment that I needed to do Zoom calls. I was spending money. I was spending a lot of money and not making it. That is a really scary place to be when you're... It's like I clearly see these are the things that I need to do in order to be where I want to be. And at the same time, it, there's this fear of like, I'm pouring money down and down a hole and I don't know if that hole is going to get filled in or not. And that's right. going to come back out, you know, right. <laughs> uh, like I feel a little like an oil prospector or something. So that was definitely scary. I guess the thing that just kept, kept me coming back to it was two things. Again, it was that support. So I, I always had, you know, reassurance from him and other people around me too. I mean, it really meant a lot to not just have my husband supporting me, but my friends, my family, my community, you know, letting me know, we believe in you. We think you're awesome. We think this is what you should be doing too. And, and my clients, like I started getting clients very quickly when I started doing this. And like, I, I started getting clients while I was training, because that's part of what you do. That's part of the training as a coach is that you get clients while you're training. And they loved what I was doing and they loved my work. And like when I was able to see the results of that on the other side and see that I was really helping people, that I was like early on achieving the mission that I set out for myself. Again, it was this thing of, well, there's nothing else I can do. Like, this is what I'm meant to do. This is why I'm here if it's not if it's a little scary right now it's worth it because i that person now has a better life situation than they did before they learned something that they didn't know because i was there and you know i just need to keep doing that and if nothing else i need to spend the money invest the time figure this all out so that i can do more of that for the people who need it like i need to get myself out there so that people can find me i think that's a big piece of what kept me from getting like totally spooked about the whole thing you know yeah, centering on that why is always so important. I love that you brought up uh, like this is like uh, prospecting, right? This is like it is. It's a risk, and we are investing. And I cringe every time you use the word spend in in an entrepreneurial context because I like to say invest, right? Like we're investing, and it's not. I say it's not a couch, right? Like it's it's different, um, but it is scary. And the the only difference between investing in this and investing in uh, like buying stocks, which is investing in other people's businesses or something like that, is that you're investing in yourself, and so. If you're a certain kind of person, like I am, I'm a control freak and I, and I trust myself more than I trust other people. And it's kind of easier to invest in yourself. And for other people, that's like a terrifying prospect because you do, you're like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. And especially, you know, like you said, you got a partner tied up in and everything else and you're going, Hey, um, not only is it, is it me on the line, but it's like you and our family's finances and stuff like that. That can be super scary. Luckily for you and everybody in your family, you've done really well with this and it's working out. Do you remember like a distinct moment where you were like, okay, this is going to work. Like I am going to make your money back. Like I am going to be profitable. Like this is a thing. This has been the best year so far for me. I mean, it's kind of funny that 2020 has been this hellscape for our country and in so many ways and even for the world in so many ways. But for me, this year has been the year where I feel like I hit my stride. And all of the things that I'd been building all of a sudden just started clicking, like not started, all did completely click into place. Like all of the pieces were, were there. And again, I don't think I ever believed that it wouldn't work. It was more that in, there was a moment like in 
maybe December or January where I was like, oh, no, it's working now. Like it's just working. It's just clicking along. And I think I kind of panicked too, because I was like, wait, really? Yeah. <laughs> is this is working now? Yeah. Uh, and, and it's just clicking along and all these things that I taught myself and all these things that I learned and all these things that I've created now are just paying me dividends. Oh my God, people like me. Like, uh, who was it that got up Sally Field? They like me, they really like yeah, me. Yeah, well, yeah. And people were like, I'd figured out a way to get my message out. I'd figured out a way to communicate what I needed to communicate and just people were responding. And I remember being terrified of that for a minute. And you know, I always thought fear of success was like, I just would laugh at that. I just feel like, oh, come on. Why, why are people afraid of success? Right. And then I had this moment of, oh shit, no. People like, this is all really happening and working really well. And now I've become the person that I was aiming to become in, in, and now I have to keep doing it. I have to keep it up. And I think the, so it's like this fear of success means that if I, I don't want to fuck it up, you know, I got through that too, but it was, it was a moment. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you have those moments for sure. And I think, um, you know, it, it, it continues because for every level that we go up, we're also giving up things to get to the next level. You know, you've heard people say, well, what got you here isn't going to get you here. And that makes sense. But it's also like, there are always kind of comforts at this level that you give up. So, you know, for instance, if you're going into podcasting and you really want to, you know, make it big, you might start to give up some of your privacy. But you know what I mean? Like you may have to reconcile, okay, well, nobody knew who I was and that was comfortable. And now people know who I am and they might have their own judgments about my life. And that's something that I have to deal with. How have you sort of reconciled, okay, I'm willingly giving up some comfort to get to my next level here. Yeah. Well, it's funny you mentioned about the podcast because I did have a moment where I was really, really stuck. Like I knew that I wanted to start a podcast and I knew exactly how I wanted to do it. And I knew what I wanted to say. And I felt like I needed to go over every single thing with a fine tooth comb to make sure I didn't say anything that I didn't mean or anything that could be misconstrued. And, you know, part of that is that I'm talking about something that's pretty sensitive. I'm talking about relationships. I'm talking about polyamory. Most of the time, I don't talk about like right and wrong and ethics. And like, I'm not very prescriptive around it because I really think that the most important thing is to be pretty non-judgmental about what people are doing. But that's kind of bitten me in the butt in the past in my community. Like when I have held a stance of non-judgment, because I do think there is a lot of judgmentalness amongst polyamorous folks. And I mean, in our country at large, but I think there's a a special level of judgmentalness that exists in polyamorous folks. And I think with good reason, because, you know, when you're part of a sexually marginalized community, whether it's being queer, whether it's being polyamorous, whether it's being not the gender you're assigned at birth, or, you know, all these different things that you have had to fight so hard to be recognized for, you are going to treat with great skepticism people who say they're your friend, right? Because at any moment they can, you know, turn around and say something homophobic or transphobic or, um, you know, judgmental about your relationship style. And then, you know, you fought so hard to be okay with yourself in a culture that doesn't really validate you a lot. And so I get it. And there are a lot of folks in the polyamorous community who are, you know, who are harmful, who are abusive, who have all of the isms, right? Like, you know, as one of my friends likes to say, the dominant culture exists in all these subcultures too, and it can cause harm. So I get it. And, and, you know, I always want to make sure that I am clearly communicating with folks 
that I, I am doing the best that I can to be the best person that I can be and be not harmful and all of that. But like, I was terrified that something that I would say would get misconstrued. And, you know, when I would be non judgmental sometimes and like really try to give people the benefit of the doubt, sometimes people would get on my case about it. So, you know, anyway, I had a mindset coach. So that was one thing. So I like, I talked about this and cried about this with like a couple of different coaches that I worked with. And, you know, one of them was like, look, this is the deal, you know, like when you're putting, yourself out there in whatever way you're putting yourself out there, people are going to misunderstand you. People are going to see something that you're saying that is not what you mean, or they're going to see something and they're going to hear it exactly the way that you mean it and they're not going to like it. Mm -hmm. And you can't have fragility around that. And you can't let folks who are doing that pull you away from your mission, right? Because I mean, like at the end of the day, if I know that I'm helping people and I know like I'm able to go back to my five-star reviews on iTunes and see people love what I'm creating. Okay. So there's going to be some haters. There are going to be some people who don't like it. There are going to be some people who say, you know, within my own community. And I think that's where I'm vulnerable, right? Is like people who I'm like, I'm on your side. And they're like, no, you're not. You know, that's scary, but you got to move through it and also not close your ears to it. Like I'm receptive to what people have to say, but I can't like take it all in. And it's funny. I teach this with my clients too, is that you need, even with people that you're closest with, even with your most intimate people, sometimes they're just having a bad day. Sometimes they are seeing things the, you know, in a skewed way. They're misunderstanding you. You're misunderstanding them. And if you get flipped out every time somebody just misunderstands you or sees you in a way that you don't want to be seen, you're, you're going to have a lot less stability in, in your life and in your relationship. And so I think it's so important to have like a little not a wall up. Like you don't want to like, again, not let people in and not let if people have a criticism of you or a concern about you or something like that, you don't want to totally not let them in. You need a little bit of a shield for people's bullshit. Even even people you love, like I said, even people you love, you have to have a little bit of a, of a shield for that and not let it in. Like see it there. You can say, oh, I see that you didn't like this thing. Cool. Great. But I don't have to take it in and say it's it, it says something about me or that I did something wrong or that everybody thinks that or whatever it might be. And that has been such a good mental and like spiritual practice for me. Again, I, like I said, I use it in my work, but I also use it with my relationships. You know, like sometimes my partner's having a bad day and they react strongly to something when I was just trying to be nice. Okay, fine. Bad day for you. It doesn't have to be a bad day for me. I can still have been loving and kind and doing my best and. I don't have to make their bad day about me. That was a huge lesson to learn. <laughs> yeah, I love that. A bad day for you does not have to be a bad day for me. We can just hold space for you to have your own bad day over there. I, listen, a lot of people that are, are, are watching this or listening to this, this question comes up over and over. Like, why do we do a show about queer entrepreneurs? Like, what does being queer have anything to do with business? Especially when I'm talking to other folks that are bi-pansexual. Sometimes we get uh, typed and say, well, you're not even really queer. Like, you're married to a, a person who presents as a guy. Like, you present as a, as a woman. Like, are you even queer? And what does this have to do with anything? And why are you two talking about this? What would you say? <laughs> what would you say to that? In some ways, business is just business. Sure. You know, there's nothing special about being queer uh, when you're in business, but then also that's not true. And this is just my take. So this might not be what you're looking for, but I think that when you're queer or trans or 
pansexual or even polyamorous, although I recognize that queer folks are not necessarily welcoming of heterosexual, cisgender, polyamorous people into their tribe. And I get that and I totally get why. Um, but I would say, again, if I was going to, if I was going to say, if you're a sexual minority in some kind of way or a relational minority in some kind of way, or, you know, under that broad umbrella of queer, you know, you've had to do so much work just to exist. You know, you've had to do so much work just to be okay with who you are in the face of like so much culture telling you that you don't count or that you're doing it wrong or that it's just weird and fucked up. Like I had a client the other day tell me that their partner that they've broken up with now, but like that their partner uh, found the idea that they would be okay with them seeing another person fucked up. Like that they would like that they would even celebrate their partner loving someone else. That 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 wanting that, that feeling that was fucked up. And I just think again, that's that judgment, right? And if you're walking around with this huge knapsack of other people's judgments that you've been carrying around and you're trying to cast it off, like that's a whole nother level of like brain weasels that you have to deal with. And then when you're trying to do that and like run a business, and if you're an entrepreneur, meaning that it's like, it's about you, like you have to overcome all of that. And then you have to overcome all the other standard stuff that like regular entrepreneurs have to overcome. And I just think about like, when I think about like a het cis white man trying to go into business for himself, like he looks around and he sees that's what most entrepreneurs look like. And so he can see himself in that space. He can see himself in that role. The culture is designed for him. The language, the resources, all of that is, is for him. Right. And I had to go and look for what was for me. You know, I had, when I went around looking for like a mentor and a coach to work with, I had to find somebody who, who could get me and who, who could like, I, 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 I remember I was looking everywhere for a coach who was a mom. Cause like, that was an important thing for me too. I wanted someone to understand like the pressure of parenting that comes with the pressure of, you know, running a business. Cause I'm like, you know, someone else trying to advise me on how to deal with stuff. I'm like, you have no idea the time pressures that I have that you just don't have. And so I think in the same way with queerness, I think like, you know, having people who understand that backpack that you've been carrying around with you and, um, all of the, all of the stuff that's in it and how much it weighs you down and how, and I think it just means so much just to have people who look like you, you know, and again, for me, when I think about people that I want to work with and who I want help from, I want people who understand what I deal with, not just in my life, but also in my head. Absolutely. And then there's something about you turning around and doing that for other people, because there's to your point at the beginning of this, of this conversation, there are people that need relationship help and relationship coaching. You can't find anybody that looks like them or understands them or exactly identifies with what they're going through. So then you can say, well, I needed that. So I can turn around and be that for somebody else. And that's really the name of the game here. What we're all doing, we're building community. Um, and we're kind of, you know, in some ways building our own structures and building our own systems, you right, know, outside exactly. of the structures and systems that, that weren't really working for us or weren't really designed with us in mind. Exactly. Exactly. hundred percent. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much, Libby Simbach, host of Making Polyamory Work. You guys should all check it out. It's amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Queer Hustle. To read the full show notes for this episode, which include a summary, timestamps, and any links mentioned in this episode, please visit michellecoyle.com slash podcast. There, you'll find the information from this episode and any past episodes. If you're enjoying this podcast, 
please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com slash queer hustle. Until we meet again next week, go out there and let it shine.